0: This is Up Your RPG, helping you up your role-playing game. Moving from a traditional RPG table to a truly collaborative role-playing experience is a journey. How do you know when you're on the right path? There are some mile markers that can help guide you, and some potholes to avoid. Let's get to it. Hey folks, welcome to Up Your RPG. My name's Arthur. As always, I'm joined by Emily and Michael, and this week we've got Scott along for the ride. Emily, I'm going to pass the show right off to you.
1: Okay, thank you. So, talking this week about transitioning from a more traditional table to a more collaborative RPG uh, role-playing experience, I told you guys before we started recording that I wanted to begin by defining traditional table, just so that we were very clear about what we were talking about. And then I realized that we didn't, even among the four of us, have the same opinion of what that term meant. So I'd actually just like to start there. And what I had planned to say was that a traditional table is a more GM dictated story. Um, It doesn't matter if it's a published mod or sandbox, personal creation, whatever, but something where uh, the the direction the I won't get too specific. GM directed story, and then at that moment we realized that even may not be the best definition. So Michael, you were going to suggest something a little different.
2: Well, I was, and I don't disagree with your definition at all. And, and even fact, if you do,
1: that's okay. <laughs> but please, what was your opinion gonna of fight. what fight, traditional fight, means? Fight, fight. In this context, yeah. I, I, to
2: me, it's where uh, the rules have superiority over the storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. And and where, as as a table, you allow the rule allow the rules to get in the way of the flow of the game. And in my mind, that's that would be more. But I, I think that's up for debate as well. Uh,
1: so it's interesting. I just want to point out that you worded that in a way that was inherently negative. Was that intentional? because you began more broadly the rules-directed game, but yeah. then you said the rules get in the way of the flow of the game.
2: That's a that's a great point. <laughs> and, <laughs> huh. Art, can you rescue me from this bus
1: okay. that is yeah, currently- well, So here's the thing, oh, right I think- <laughs> No, I mean, no I, it's not, I'm not trying to steamroll you. I just, I'd like to, I think we as a group can find a way to def- define traditional game. In a way that is still positive, because we accept all games here.
2: Well, and I think that that's where I don't want the bus to roll over me is that I think yeah.
1: that
2: for for different groups that 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 kind of structure is really important, right? Mm-hmm. And when we when we talk about the goal of collaborative storytelling uh, or, or the table that's ideal for us, right? If we allow the rules to dictate our flow, then that's something that's gotten in the way of our game. So maybe maybe that's I'm coming from my perspective that that's that's where I'm trying to situate that uh, to define that as a traditional table. come on art so I it, need no, that well, no, here's the here's me thing out of the water
0: <laughs> I, I, now. I, I am happy to, to throw you a lifeline but only to um, you know have the boat roll right over myself intentionally because I, I don't have a problem uh, with some negativity there. Um, I, I I feel like, for what we are trying to do um i personally think that a, a rules heavy environment where narrative and collaboration comes second and following um a, a railroad uh, which is not my term um comes first uh that's not what we are trying to do. We're trying to get away from that. And and I think it's okay to say that. Um, And like you were trying to say, if if that's not your thing, there are things in our philosophy that can help get your game more story-driven. But if your thing is following that prescriptive path and if your thing is, you know, getting really leaning into the math of RPGs and, uh, you know, calculating encumbrances and, and worrying about carrying enough food, uh, and all those sort of, uh, nuances that, that come with that style of play. Uh, that's, we're trying to get away from that. So there's two ways to look at it. You can either, uh, the way that we're doing it is to completely get away from that. Uh, you know, we're uh, break the rules, tell a story. Um, if you're, if you get a kick out of that stuff, we can still give you tips that will help you um, get more story in that type of environment. Um, but okay, at the same I'm time, I'm really
1: glad you took it around Bear. I,
0: I, I'm Sorry. not going to shy away from the fact that it's uh, that my philosophy is to really get away from that. Um, that's the way I would like to play more. Um, yeah. I, so
1: both of those are very good points because. What we're defining as a traditional game is not what we do here. And anyone that has listened to even one of our shows will realize that. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy playing that style, you can play that style and have a lot of fun. And it doesn't have to be a railroad. You can use all of the specifics of the rules While still playing in a true sandbox, or if you prefer one path, you can do that too. And in any of those iterations, you can still pick things out of this show that may inform your play. Yeah, exactly. But maybe we just need a a sort of introduction here that says, in our philosophy, we privilege character and uh, freedom of creativity in the game over rules. And so we are moving away from what we view as a more traditional game.
3: So re- really quickly, yeah. I, I mean, they're all great points. Like wh- when we're playing and, you know, whether it's it's you, Michael, or whether it's Rick and D&D, when we're sort of going with the flow and we're sort of collaboratively creating realities, which we do in, in both, we do it in D&D as well as Call of Cthulhu. And then one of you invariably says, yeah, I'll allow it. Like, that's almost a teeny bit jarring for me Mm -hmm. because I'm reminded that there is still someone sort of dictating the terms and that can take what would otherwise be a fantastic addition or change and say, no, that's not going to happen. Not that there's not valid reasons, not that that's not a part of the process, but we have gone far enough along that road that I feel like the ability for one person to radically change what sort of by consensus is really going to be a cool approach to the story. You guys both share the thing where you love that. And you, you very rarely are trying to change and move us away from that. But, you know, I think it's worth noting that even the statements like I'll allow it sort of are just a reminder that there is still that potential to have that taken away. And I wouldn't advocate against that. Cause right. Ultimately the GM or DM is going to play that role, but you know, it does give an indication to Art's point how far we've gone in terms of really making it a very collaborative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I want to jump in there because
2: that statement, the the times that it leaves my mouth, I immediately <laughs> want to pull it right back in. Uh, and I'm it's funny that it's jarring to you because when when I let that slip, it's incredibly mm. jarring to me because that's not the environment I want to make. And in a way, because and and now I can let the bus roll over me completely because I, in the process, in the last few minutes here, been able to figure it out. It's because if we get into the rules based system, then that puts all the onus on the GM mm-hmm. to hold everybody accountable to those rules, which allows for phrases like "I'll allow that" or creates yeah. those moments, right? Because then, as a GM, you're now a gatekeeper to power, you're a gatekeeper to access, you're a gatekeeper to what's available to the players, you're a gatekeeper to the story itself. And um, if we if we move away from that, you actually free yourself up to start creating the story with the players. And so... And, and that's yeah. great,
3: Michael. I love that. And really quickly, but the other thing that it does, and I don't want to go too far down this road, yeah. but it reinforces a power structure. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. It reinforces a power structure. And I think that I've seen, like I'm on lots of chat groups and, and interweb thingies and whatever, where DMs still position themselves as the, the person at the table that controls it all. And I'm the, you know, I can make the rules and I can this and that. And it's not that I don't get it. It's not that for some people that's the way they game and it's what they know and what they love. What I can say is when I compare how we used to be that way versus how we are now, it is radically more fun that the realities that we inform, like think about how the Buddy and Eddie show has helped to evolve the timeline in the characters because of the way that me and Artie play them together, right? Like we've helped to change and shape things, and you're so good that you've helped to shape around it. So we're working collaboratively. So no one wields the ultimate power in this. We're in we're in sort of collaboration and partnership together and from a gaming perspective when you fundamentally go back to the idea that it's supposed to be fun like that's fucking awesome because now we're collaborating we're working together and we're building something with you and it's not you doing it and us doing it it's us doing it together and and i think that's phrasing. important
2: because oh yeah. what's that <laughs> i said phrasing yeah, but but the the power structures i think are inevitably what start to create tensions at the table Right. And in my mind, uh, eliminating as much of that as possible is, is is important because inevitably, right, when you have a power system set up at a table, everybody wants to participate in at some point uh, that that power is going to have to be wielded. Mm-hmm. And that that shifts tone at a table dramatically. And I think it probably happens often and we're used to it and we kind of rebound from it and move on but over time the more time that that power is wielded right that creates frustrations between players and gms now we're also to be fair talking about a table where players like there there's kind of full trust across the tables between players nobody's trying to blow up the game uh, and and we you know we'll have other episodes where we deal with that, but right there's we're talking about a table where there's a lot of trust that we have right now. Uh,
0: so, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Emily.
1: Well, why don't you respond to Michael? And okay.
0: Then? Well, I I just wanted to go back to something you said earlier because I think that's a good point and, and sort of a uh, one of the big takeaways um, from this episode. Uh, I, I think that a. a a roadblock or a a sort of went a pothole that GMs can look at um, when you're trying to sort of make the, the, that slow transition from however you define a a more traditional table to a more collaborative table are those moments when you as a GM make absolute statements. Uh, You know, it happens. And even you who, are really experienced in this environment still occasionally catch yourself doing that and it's going to happen and that's fine. Um, But when you can start to notice those, those moments and think of ways that you can even just rephrasing, even if it's that there is a thing and obviously as, as rules light as I want to be in as, and as much as I say, break the rules, I know that in every game you have to have some structure or, uh, you know, things kind of go a little bit crazy. Although 10 candles, Maybe different um, but um it, it, there has to be some framework for um decision making um and for consequences to actions and that's fine that's all part of the game uh, but how you phrase that by saying i'll allow it or um okay that sounds great two completely different ways of, of doing the exact same thing one's collaborative one is like scott said a power structure um, so, it, as as a tip for GMs, think about ways that you can turn your phrases around to make them collaborative and not, uh, like Scott was saying, uh, like you're in control of everything.
1: So, we have jumped right into the middle, which is great. And I love <laughs> all of the things that you're sorry saying. That. and I'm taking notes and don't be sorry. But for just a moment, I want to jump back to where we have essentially defined a traditional game In its most simple form as rules over story rather than story over rules. Is that something we can all agree on?
2: I love that. I'm good with that. Yeah.
1: Okay. So starting there, I want to go to Michael because you as the keeper, the GM of the group that we're all playing in right now, have truly gone through this process in the, the now three seasons that we've been working together, you have made some conscious and unconscious changes to your style, to your leadership style, to just move more of that onus of storytelling onto us. And we love that. We love that equality in power, power dynamics and freedom for creativity. But what I wanna know in this episode where we're asking how is how that happened how could somebody else do what you've done so i i think
2: for me it was a it was a conscious decision to redefine my role and write what is my role and and i felt like my role is to provide setting and i call it scaffolding uh Mm -hmm. but that's that's the structure that we can build on right and that I saw y'all as populating this with fully formed characters. Right. I, I trust fully that like, you know, I mean, that's when we made our module. That's why we're all authors. in it is because those characters y'all built, those, those aren't things I brought. Right. Those are wonderfully woven backstories that are really incredible. And so um, in my mind, I'm like, OK, so my job is to keep track of what's happening in this world and how this world is responding to y'all. And how do I keep that exciting on my end? um but not dictate what your actions are within the world. Um, and so that's that's kind of the challenge I posed to myself at the beginning and right, like season one, Uh, there's it's definitely a different style for me, and and there's things I'd like to go back and correct. In season two, I I probably swung a little bit the other way and wished like, oh, you know what? I probably should have like, maybe um been a, a little more involved in this moment, and um and so you know like I think it's one of those things for me that I don't think of this as a place of arriving, right? Like, oh, this is. I think of it as like, okay, are we as a table having fun? Is the scaffolding supporting that fun? And if we aren't, then how does that need to shift? And uh, and then if we if we are, how do we keep it fresh? And so that's been that's been my perspective. So I guess the takeaway there, right, is to is to define yourself, define like the type of GM you want to be. Right. How Mm -hmm. how do you want to participate in the game? Uh, And and I think that's an important place to start.
1: Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And on that note, I want to ask either Art or Scott, what your experience has been moving through these seasons on the path that Michael has just described.
0: I want to hear from Scott on that.
3: Yeah. Okay. so I mean, I can what I can say is that I can feel that evolution right? I can feel the changes over time. So I think about, I think I've mentioned this once before, but you know, back in season one with Yarker, I did a couple things and you were just like, uh, <laughs> like when I said his uncle was drinking uh, booze with Lomava in it. And you were just like, uh, I don't know what that means. And then like, we never talked about it again. <laughs> and it was like, I, I, you know, I felt like, oh, I guess Michael didn't want to pick that up. I think third season Michael would have picked that up and shaped that into something else. And so like, just, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're modifying the terrain of the game. And the old Michael was like early eighties games where you'd go back and the terrain would be rebuilt. And now it's like, no, it's persistently changed. So there's definitely that shaping going on. And as a result, yeah, we get to be co-creating this in a way that, you know, I think Artie you mentioned before about like, or I was one, you're one of you two said like, you know, we have trust and we, we know each other. Like there's a reason I don't game with new people. Like I just don't know that I'd be comfortable with it because if I show up at the table and someone like tries to railroad a rules lawyer or someone's min-maxing or like just doing this stuff that drives me absolutely fucking crazy, I just wouldn't want to be there. It just wouldn't be enjoyable to me. Like, I know we keep saying, cause we want to be nice. Well, if that's how you game, that's okay. And I'm like, well, if that's how you game, you're an asshole. <laughs> like, it's not necessary. <laughs> well, there you go. Like, it, it's not true. It's just, <laughs> but, it's just not but, for you. It's not true. Not I'm me. just yeah. saying it. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it, because for, for me, like having that that collaborative approach, like Rick does it just as well on the D&D side where we shape things and he shapes things and then we come together. And even when he's using a book, he will rewrite elements of the book on the fly to sort of address those things. Mm-hmm. So I think that you guys both do really well with that. And the systems, last thing Michael, I promised, but you know, I think part of it is using the systems to advantage. And I think that, you know, it, it almost makes me think I've never played Ten Candles, so I guess we'd have to see. But, you know, for D&D and Call of Cthulhu, we're shaping both of those in different ways. And they're both just as flexible a framework. Yeah. And I, Art, I want you to get to
2: respond. One thing that I think that is important is uh, thinking about that definition early on, though, is that it, I think a lot of people arrive at RPGs not from storytelling, though, right? A lot of people arrive at RPGs from board games, and I think those rules become a really comfortable way of transitioning from a board game into an RPG, and that early on they hold a really kind of critical, I, I don't want to use that phrase, they they hold a really important role in terms of how we leave that comfort zone of a highly structured mm-hmm. story or narrative or competitive space and move into one that's really built for storytelling, right? And I think that that's, if if the reverse were true, people would be way more comfortable just jumping into the story and throwing in a rule or two. And so, I, you know, I I, I think that we're kind of all in this process of where we find our comfort in the narrative and that, uh, that for some tables, you know, leaning onto those rules helps provide that. But anyway.
1: Now I'm really curious. I would just want to know, would you all three feel like you came to RPGs through board games? Mm -mm.
0: Um, I I don't necessarily um, think that I came through board games. I think that that is a much more common thing now. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I do think, uh, for me, very strongly, there is a progression. Um, There's a very clear evolution that started with d and you know whatever it was 12 years ago um and and some in the 80s um but mostly uh, a little more recent but it, when i first started playing DD, it was it was very much uh, i didn't want to um screw stuff up so i i really tried to learn the rules uh because i didn't want to embarrass myself at the table Um, But then once I got over that part, it was about trying to min-max. It was, you know, how can I win combat? How can I be better in combat? Uh, And then there was this evolution of getting more involved in character and getting more involved in story and finding combat more and more boring, um, just to be Mm -hmm. blunt. Uh, I I, I can only kill so many works. Uh, it, it, it's just not that much fun after years of killing orcs. Um, and fortunately for whatever synchronicity, our group was evolving together uh, and we are still continuing to evolve. And I, I think that rules play a smaller and smaller role in that. And combat plays a smaller and smaller role in that the further we go forward. Um but I just want to back up a little bit and, and, and give a couple sort of more, more hands-on things to, to sort of distill some of the things that, that um, Scott and Michael have, have mentioned thus far um, that I, I think it's one thing that we've not mentioned in this show is that um, in trying to make that evolution, it's not just incumbent upon the GM to, uh, to drive that change. Um, it's incumbent upon everyone at the table um, and everyone at the table has to do an equal part of that lift. Uh, so, you know, the first part comes with everyone agreeing that, hey, this is what we want to do. And then everyone taking equal responsibility and equal share in that work. Um, because like Michael has said, him giving some of that control that Scott referenced with with shaping the space, uh, Michael had to yield it, and then Scott had to pick it up and use it Uh, so those two things need to come together among other things but but when you're first starting out uh, that's really the best way uh, to go forward is that the players have to have to take their initiative um the gms have to yield it um and that's when everyone really starts to shape this this world and this story together
2: Uh, and i would say oh sorry go ahead emily no please no i I just remember being early on in my, my GM experience being really nervous about what the players are doing and, and is that going to break things? And I felt this enormous responsibility that it was my job to prevent the players from breaking this thing, right? Mm -hmm. This really fragile item that was held together. And it was my job to provide this and that. And, um, And so this is like this has just been so freeing to be able to to realize that it's not going to break. It's not going to fall apart if the players play in it and it's not going to fall apart if they start building things in it. Um, And so that was but I, I do remember, right, that my initial instinct when I first started was preservation of what's there. And that I felt like that was my whole role as a GM and also not to let anybody down. Right. And I think that's not an uncommon experience.
0: And that's if you can trust your players not to break it. Because it is possible to break it if if like Scott sure. said, someone um is gonna is gonna ruin the game. Someone if can someone ruin wants, the game.
3: If someone wants to come in and just play chaos and and break things and ruin things, and again, when I think about some of the groups I've read where there's players that are like, oh, I just I went in and did this thing and I screwed him by doing this. And I, it's like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, good for you. Tough for being an asshole. Yeah. Like I, you know, it's like, I think that there's, there's a, a partnership and a collaboration. I have said that a few times, but mm-hmm. it's, and I think part of it is the definition as a group of what it means to have fun. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we agree with each other. We play the same way. We have consensus amongst the group if there were a bunch of people at the table and they were all like min maxers who wanted to just optimize the mechanics of the game, but they all agreed on it. Awesome. Like I, I, more power to them. That's great. Like if that's a different way for them to have fun and do their thing, that just, it just wouldn't be the right table for me. But I more than understand that. I
1: actually think that this might be a great place to wrap up unless (laughs) anyone has any other really important thoughts to share. This is your space. But the reason that I'm saying that is because, Scott, I think what you said about the table dynamic is very important because the very first step in this question we're trying to answer, how can you transition from a traditional table to a more collaborative table, is to sit down and have that conversation between your GM and your players, because you all have to be on the same page and be ready to commit to the style of gameplay that you will undertake together and it's pretty clear that we as a group are positing that there is a sort of natural progression of gameplay where the rules can be a really important uh pillow something <laughs> something to fall on a uh safety to net catch your fall safety, safety net that'll do safety yeah net. yeah <laughs> a um, sheet. we're here for you Thank we're
0: you. collaborating
1: um be a very important safety net especially if you're new to the game or if you have any anxiety about leading or playing a game having said that uh we are at least our experience is that we're moving along this path where as we said the power dynamics are becoming more and more equalized as we continue to put our story before the rules of the game and so You can do that with baby steps, like beginning by encouraging your players to build more complex characters with more depth and more details to their story, and then reinforce that by, as the GM, taking those details and making them important and weaving them into your game, whether that means adding them to a module or a part of your sandbox. And then at that point, you can continue to grow from there and to find more ways to to pass on some of that power as a leader and as a player to find ways to take it and to contribute without breaking the game. Because you can tell, hopefully in most cases, if you're making something so ridiculous and crazy that you just know it's going to cause more trouble than it will help the story. And you probably probably don't want to do that to your friends. That would be my ideal. My hope. So I will send you off with that. That'll put a wrap on this week's session of Up Your RPG. Thanks for joining us. You can always join us at upyourrpg.com. Hopefully, we've contributed to your game. Now go find a table.